All right, all right, all right. Hey, guys, you can go ahead and take a seat. Well, like Roger said, my name is Rudy. Uh, welcome to Salt Company. If you have a Bible, you can roll over to, I'm going to hang out in Luke chapter 11, but this is in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6, kind of like David said last week. But we're continuing this series on the Lord's prayer that we began. Uh, you head there. I'll catch up to you in the text eventually. But I am just so honored to get to be here with you all this evening. Uh, we got to hang out with a couple uh, student leaders today. We're going to hang out with some more student leaders tomorrow. So it's just been a joy. You guys have some incredible student leaders. You got a great band. You got great announcers. You got great Freshman Friday leaders. Like I am just so stoked to be able to get to come out and be a part of what God is doing out here at uh, UW Madison. Someone said, if you say UW, they will get up and walk away. And I was like, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm, I apologize. But no, I am, I am so, so excited. My wife, Molly, who is up here, we're so excited to be moving out here and being with you far, far more. Um, so if you missed the midweek last Thursday, we started a series on prayer out here. David rocked it, laid it down. Uh, and when David sent me the schedule and told me that we were going to be doing a series on prayer, Prayer, uh, I got uh, immediately joyful and hopeful. Joyful and hopeful. And I want to just hold those two out to you and tell you exactly why for a moment. One, joyful because there are few things that I could categorize uh, over the last three or four years of following Jesus in my life that I have found to be as uh, critical and as beautiful and as delightful and as formative as learning how to pray. I love prayer. And that sounds like, like some sort of like pseudo, like Christian flex, like I love prayer. What about you? I love prayer. Do you, like it's like whatever. But I, I, I didn't always. Like, like I used to be the bull that was kind of in the back, like I'm praying, but I don't know if these are getting past the ceiling. I'm praying, but I'm not really sure like what is really going on here. I know I've been told this is like me communicating with God, but I don't really get it. So what, what is prayer? What is this even, what's supposed to be happening? I don't no, and it was a couple years ago that I, I just realized that what was actually going on is that it wasn't even so much that I was praying or what I was praying. It was the framework that I was bringing into prayer that was absolutely just shaping prayer and it to be just a drag. Like it was not joyful because it was ultimately performative. My understanding of prayer was that it was me performing for God or performing for others or frankly performing even for myself. My framework was performance. And from performance, you can only get one of two things. You can either have from performance success or failure. That, that was it. I was performing and the result was either success in prayer or failure in prayer. I successfully prayed or I failed at praying. Success led to pride. Failure led to shame. And prayer is not intended to, to evoke and to build within us pride and shame. The way of following the way of Jesus is not intended to build within us greater pride or greater shame. But because I took that framework into prayer of performance, it had just totally shaped the way that I was interacting with God to be fixated around either growing more prideful about my ability or more shameful about my lack of ability. My framework was performance. A couple years ago, four, four or so years ago, that changed from performance as I uh, started to understand that I could actually look at prayer not as performance but as practice. 
I'd actually learn how to take a practice framework to prayer. And, and, and it led to, to looking like this. I would practice prayer, and it would lead to a little bit of growth, which would lead to a little bit of confidence, which would lead to a little bit of joy, and a little more practice, which leads to a little bit more growth, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more joy, practice, growth, confidence, joy, practice, growth, confidence, joy. Instead of being on these two trajectories towards failure or success, pride or shame, it actually became a cycle in a circle of practicing the presence of God, wherein I was actually able to grow in my ability. I was able to grow in my awareness. I was able to grow as I was practicing prayer as a follower of Jesus, from performance to practice, and it reshaped the way that I followed after him. It was such a delight, such a beauty, such a joy. There is no joy found in performative prayer, but there is so much joy found in the practice of prayer as a follower of Jesus. And I have started to taste that, and I'm excited that several of you are as well. So I'm joyful, but I'm also hopeful. I'm hopeful for what God could do in you and through you as he draws you to himself, as you continue practicing prayer, as he teaches you how to pray through this very prayer. I I am excited for the formation that might happen within you for the sake of others who are around you. That is, you become more like Jesus, you bring you being more like Jesus to the people who are around you. So that becomes a beautiful reality of him doing a work not only in you, but through you. I've been giving myself over to this question over the last week, just thinking about coming here. God, what could you do through a group of collegiate men and women in Madison and at the UW if they would give themselves, if we would give ourselves to prayer? God, what could you do in us and what could you do through us? I've been hopeful to that end, joyful and hopeful. So I'm so glad that you all are in this series to end your semester, and I hope that was enough time to get to Luke chapter 11. (laughs) We're picking up at the second line of the prayer this evening. I'll read the whole prayer in section, but we'll be specifically zooming in on the line that says, your name be honored as holy. You'll hear me say this a lot, so I'm going to say it tonight. If the word doesn't do the work, then the work won't get done. So let's hop to it and see what we got. Luke chapter 11. As he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Your name be honored as holy. Two questions that we're going to look at, two answers that we're going to give. First question, why focus on God's name? Like, why does Jesus say, hey, we've said Father, now your name be honored as holy. So why focus on his name? And then the second question, what does it mean to ask that his name would be honored as holy? Maybe you got like an like a older translation of the Bible and it says hallowed. That's the same idea. It is to make something holy, hallowed. Holy be your name. May your name be honored as holy. Well, what on earth does that mean? We're going to ask and answer both of those. Why God's name and what does it mean for it to be honored as holy? So first, why God's name? Okay, if you're writing notes, it's because it is in this name that we see that God is both powerful and personal. 
It is as we look at the name of God that we see that he is both powerful and personal. When Jesus says, your name be honored as holy, everybody in the first century Jewish context that is listening to him, immediately their brains zoom to one particular text, one particular moment in the history of Israel. It zooms there where God not only tells them what his name is, but says, this is what my name means. You see, God's name actually reveals his nature. His name actually reveals his character and who he is. I wonder if you've ever thought about that, by the way. Like, who is God? (laughs) I don't mean it like whatever your Sunday school answer would be, but like, what is he like? Like, what is God like? What's the first thing, to use A.W. Tozer's question, what is the first thing that you think of when you think of God? It may be the most important question that you need to consider in your life. What is God like? What's the first thing that you think of when you think of God? Well, when, (laughs) when Jesus says, the name be honored as holy, the people who were hearing him would have immediately thought of a text that actually answers that exact question. Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7. The passage that is possibly the most quoted in the Bible by the Bible. The passage these first century hearers would have instantly thought of as they heard Jesus teach this. It would, and it reads like this. The Lord Yahweh, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and to the fourth generations. The Lord Yahweh, the Lord our God. So what is God like? I know I just got here, but can I preach just a little bit, like just a little little baby bit? Is that okay? The Lord is Yahweh. That is his name in this text, and his name reveals his nature. He is the one true creator God who is uncreated, eternal, powerful, perfectly self-sufficient, exalted in authority, and is the king of the entirety of the universe, which is his. He is the Lord, and he is compassionate. It's the first in a list revealing the character of God. He does not begin anywhere other than his compassion. He is a God who is not cold. He is not unfeeling. He is not removed or distant from his creation, but is moved by his own compassion as the creator of all things to move towards his creation. His compassion denotes that he is powerful enough to act in and on behalf of those who are his people. He's compassionate, but he's also gracious. His actions of compassion are perfectly and massively powerful and yet simultaneously undeserved and freely given. Compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. God's power is not an angry authority, but one that is gloriously patient with the people who deserve the business end of his wrath. Our anger as human beings is unjust and it flows from a wounded ego. His is just and it flows from the hurt of a loving father watching his children run towards the sin that will hurt them. 
He is abounding in faithful love and truth. God's love is his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is his love. His faithful love is a promised covenant love that he alone has the power to make. He is powerful enough to keep his promise to restore his people, even in the midst of his people rebelling and running away from him. He maintains that faithful love and truth for a thousand generations. Our hope is not rooted in our ability to continue holding on and maintaining our love for him, but in his ability to continue his love for us, which scopes the entirety of eternity. He is powerful in maintaining his faithful love and his faithful truth. He forgives rebelliousness, iniquity, and sin. He is powerful enough to make a way towards forgiveness in the midst of our sin and rebellion and brokenness. He is powerful enough, I love this, not just to destroy, but to do the harder work of restoration and reconciliation. And God is just the perfectly powerful one who sets the standard of the universe that he created as intricate as he was in the creation of the caterpillar or the curiosity of the ostriches and in the formation of a universe with a billion galaxies all declaring his his glory he is equally as authoritative and just in exacting punishment of his wrath towards those who offend him seek to replace him try to be him or flat out deny him this is the powerful god Powerful in his position, powerful in his compassion, powerful in his grace, powerful in his patience, powerful in his love, in his forgiveness, and in his justice. This is the Lord God, the powerful one, the one whose name Jesus invites us to pray, be honored as holy. But as Jesus actually introduces another dimension to this name that we honor as holy, and David talked about it last week. See, when we pray, he's so powerful, but when we pray, we don't, we're not instructed to approach God first as king or savior or spirit or, or Lord or God or any of these words, all of which are good and all of which are right. Our prayer is not limited to this word that Jesus gives us, but it is rooted in it because Jesus tells his disciples and by extension us that when we pray to God, we are to begin with the word Father. And here it is. In this title of Father, we begin to understand what it means that this God that we pray to is not just powerful, but he is also incredibly personal. He is powerful and he is personal. You heard David talk about this last week, but to give a review, it's J.I. Packer's line, Father is the Christian name for God. The name that we pray to, the one that we pray to, he is all at once immensely powerful and intimately personal. And I want to clarify here, just briefly, that when I say that he is personal, I do not simply mean that he is individualistic, but that he is intimate. I do not mean that he is personal in the sense that it is personal as an individual just to you, although he does see you and he does love you, but your relationship with God is not only your relationship with God, it's the relationship that you have with God and that you have with those who are around you who are brothers and sisters in Christ with you as they too have put their faith in God. Don't miss this. There are no first person singular pronouns in this prayer. Every single pronoun in this prayer is first person plural. It is not an individualistic prayer. 
That is not to say that you shouldn't pray for what you need. It is not to say that God does not see you who you are. But it also means that this prayer is intentionally reinforcing the idea of Jesus saying, you all become a part of my family. That it is not simply you individually, but you all who follow after me. It is an incredibly communal and community-based practice of prayer. Following Jesus is a journey that is not taken alone, but rather together. Our apprenticeship to Jesus, our following after Jesus is not just us, but those around us who follow him as well. Guys, this is why we make a huge deal about connection groups. This is why we make a big deal about gathering a salt company. This is why we make a big deal about coming to Doxa Church on Sundays, because we are better when we follow the way of Jesus together, and we see it right here in this prayer. Prayer, while practiced by an individual, is not simply individual individualistic, but it is personal in the sense that the imminent God is also an intimate God. It is personal in that there is an intimate relationship of the father to his child that is being unveiled in this primer on prayer. And this is incredible because it begins to peel back the layers that the God that we meet with in prayer is not just powerful, is not just personal, but he is both. I get nervous sometimes that we can break God down into an either-or category when it comes to personal or when it comes to powerful. Like we can see him like God is so powerful, but he's not very personal. And he becomes this kind of like foreign dignitary political head of state. Like he's got authority and he has power and he's in command, but he'll never be my friend. Like you are like so powerful, but you're also so distant. You're so far away. I'll never know you. You'll never know me. You're just in control. Power, not personal. On the other side of that, we can have this idea that he is personal, but not very powerful. So we see him kind of like that stuffed animal when you were a kid, or, I mean, hey, safe place, or now, whatever, Um, right? But you see him as that stuffed animal comforting you on the scary nights or in the dark, but isn't really able to do anything about it. Personal, not powerful. When we understand that the God that we pray to is both powerful and personal, we understand what it means for Jesus to teach us to honor his name as holy because he is not either or, he is both. He is powerful and he is personal. He is different from you, but he is not distant from you. And it would only then follow that if we are to address God as Father, if, if, if it's become personal because we address him as Father, then it means that we've somehow become his children. That somehow is called adoption. When we turn from our sins and towards Jesus and trust him as our Lord and our Savior, we are brought into a union with God and become a part of the family of God, sons and daughters of God. That's not some metaphor to tell you what it is like to be a Christian. It is saying that you literally become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. We actually become a part of his family. It is the only way to become a part of the family of God is to put our trust in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 says that to whoever believed in him, he gave them the privilege to become a child of God. So let me just pause here. I know I'm supposed to wait till the end to do this, but I want to just plead with you. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, 
If you're in this room and you're not a Christian, I want to say we are so glad that you're here. It is the honor of my life to get to open up this Bible and talk about this prayer and talk about Jesus Christ with you. But I want to be very clear that you are not a child of God unless you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are made in his image. All people are. But you are not a part of his family until you come to put your trust and treasure in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life that we could never live who died a death on the cross that we deserve. He became sin, though he knew no sin, so that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ. He took our place and our punishment for us on a cross so that we might know life and life more abundantly now and for eternity. Because he did not just die on that cross, but he took our death and he took our punishment and he took our sin into the grave. He left it there and then he rolled out and he did it with like such swag that like he like folded his clothes and like left them in there, left that tomb as empty as chicken filet on a Sunday and like walked out the tomb, right? Like, like it is a incredibly beautiful reality that he has taken our sin from us and given eternal life to us that starts today with him as his sons, as his daughters. So if you have not put your trust in Jesus, he welcomes you to himself. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't hold back. You can come to him today. You can become a part of his family. And when we understand that part of that name is Father, powerful and personal, the idea of this prayer, your name be honored as holy, really starts to take shape. Let me illustrate it like this. My name is Rudy. Well, actually, my name is Patrick. That's my real name. My real name is Patrick. My real name is actually Patrick Stephen Rudolph Hartman. But that's a whole other thing. Um, that's where Rudy comes from. It comes from Rudolph. Weird story. He's the guy that came to America. Anyways, um, so Patrick Stephen Rudolph Hartman. Well, my last name is Hartman. I got my last name from my father. I got my last name because my father is my father, and his last name is Hartman, so his last name is put on me. So I'm not Rudy blank. I'm Rudy, son of Hartman. I am Rudy Hartman. I carry the name of my father. I'm identified by the name as my father. Because we are a part of the family of God, God puts his name on us. His powerful and personal name is now placed onto us as a part of his families. Just like how I carry and how you carry your family name, your last name, we carry the name of God's family as we are adopted into it and we call him Father. So when we ask for his name to be honored as holy, we're asking for at least three things and they actually have to do with us. We're saying, let your name be, Father, let your name be honored as holy as we look up, as we look back, and as we look ahead. As we look up, as we look back, and as we look ahead. First, as we look up, we ask that his name would be honored as holy because it is holy. The idea of it being holy is the idea of his name being uniquely separate. Who else is like God? Who else would look at humanity? You know yourself better than anyone else. Who else would look at you? In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of what you've done, if you're honest with yourself, who else would look at me and say, in the midst of all that, where you deserve to be separated for eternity, where Rudy deserves to be separated for eternity, that God would make a way not only for me to be forgiven, but for me to be a part of his family. Who else is like that? 
Like, it, there really is nothing better than him. When we sing that song, we are proclaiming that reality. You are holy. You are uniquely different. There's nothing like you, nothing better than you. Who would do that? Who would say, not just forgiven, but family? The holy God would. He's holy because he's the God who doesn't just invite us into a set of religious dogmatic rules, but a relationship shaped by loving union. He has invited you into this union of father and child. And there's so much that stands in the way of that union. Our sin condemns us, our rebellion defiles us, it separates and orphans us, our deserved justice estranges us, our depravity dirties us, our disobedience towards God puts us in debt, our hard hearts imprison us, our love of the world binds us, our weakness in our flesh kills us. What could union with Christ have to do with us? Unless Christ himself would step in, the one who is the son of the one whose name we pray to might step in and actually do what's necessary for us to be sons and daughters. Our sin condemns, but through the cross, Christ forgives and justifies so that we can be in union with him. Our rebellion defiles, but by his spirit, Christ transforms so we can experience union with him. Our sin separates and orphans us, but Christ does the work to adopt us into familial union with him. Our deserved justice is us, but Christ reconciles us into union with him. Our depravity dirties us, but Christ cleanses us so that we can be in union with him. Our disobedience towards God puts us in debt, but Christ purchases us to put us in union with him. Our hard hearts imprison us, but Christ frees us into union with him. Our love of the world blinds us, but Christ heals and illuminates himself so that we might love union with him more than with the world. And the weakness in our flesh kills us, but in his resurrection, and Christ resurrects us so that we might live in union with him. That is the work of the powerful and personal God whose name is to be honored as holy. So we look up and we worship. When we pray your name be honored as holy, we are asking for strength to worship the one whose name is actually holy. The one who is powerful and who is personal. We show adoration to God as we pray and as we sing because of who he is and because of what he's done, which is represented in his personal and powerful name as Father. So we look up and we adore him. We also have to look back. Remember, a part of the reality of God being Father means that we carry his name. So we look back on our lives and we see that if we're honest, that we've not always honored his name as holy. It's more likely, actually, that we have sinned and taken his name with us as his child into our sin. We've not honored his name as holy. We've actually made his name profane. We have taken what he has put on us, what was unique, and we have made it common. When we pray your name be honored as holy, we are looking back on our own lives and we are practicing confession. We are asking God to undo what we have done in our sin. God, I have not honored your name as holy with my life, but I'm praying right now, I'm confessing right now, God, will your name be honored as holy? We ask him to undo what we have done. Where our sin has brought dishonor to his name, we ask him to forgive us and bring honor to his name. And this is the prayer that God always answers. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We look back. God, would your name be honored as holy? We confess that it has not been in our lives. We confess, and he cleanses. Christian, with that in mind, I just want you to hear this for just a moment. It's easy to look back and just feel immense heaping shame. It's easy to look back and feel just brokenness over what you have done, what has happened, whatever it is. You look back on your life and your response is shame. But I need you to hear this. God is not ashamed in making you a part of his family. God did not mess up or make a mistake in inviting you to be his own. He does not regret sending Jesus Christ to live that life and die that death and rise again so that you might have eternity with him. He delights in you as a son, as a daughter. This is a part of his name, the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, Father. So when you sin, the name and nature of God can shape your response because you can confess and know that he cleanses. You are just as adopted by God the moment after you sinned as you were the moment before. And that should shape our response. See, religion says, I sinned. Dad's going to kill me. Relationship says, I sinned. I better get home to dad. We can ask for God to honor his name as holy and practice confession of our sin, which he cleanses us of. We ask him to undo what we have done and honor his name as holy through us. But his name being honored as holy is not just in us looking up and it's not just, it's just in us looking back, but it's also seen in us looking ahead. We look ahead and we look ahead with hope. When we ask for his name to be honored as holy, we can look ahead and into the future of our lives that can feel murky and scary and unsettling and exhausting and ask that he would honor his name as holy through us as we live in Madison, Wisconsin, as we take classes and are around people on the campus of UW-Madison, as we go home to your parents, as you go home to your parents in a few weeks for Thanksgiving, God, would your name be honored as holy in us around the Thanksgiving table? We need help. Amen. Um, like when you are at your part-time job, as you interact with your roommates, you can ask God in the future, in the places you are not yet, but he already is, for him to honor his name as holy through you. Same principle. How will you carry the name of God and honor it as holy in the places that you live, study, work, and play? What could God do through you? If on the forefront of your mind, wherever you went, a core and dominating desire and prayer of your life was that, God, as I go to this next thing, God, as I go to this class, as I go to this study group, as I go back home, as I go to wherever, God, would your name be honored as holy there. Strengthen me right now. Help me, Holy Spirit, right now so that your name might be honored as holy wherever I go. Heard it say that, ducks quack and cows moo and dogs bark and Christians share the gospel. <laughs> that we would share the gospel. That would be the natural response of us seeking to see his name honored as holy. 
that we would live the gospel, that wherever we are, it was evident that we were not simply living for our first name or even for our last name, but for our Father's name who, that he's put on us through Jesus Christ. So we look up and we honor his name by adoring and worship, which we are about to do. And I hope, my prayer is that you would give yourself over in worship unashamedly to the one whose name is powerful and is personal. We look back and we confess that we've dishonored his holy name. We ask him to undo what he has done and with confidence can know that when we confess, Jesus cleanses. And we look ahead with hope and we live to see his holy name honored in and through us. And if I'm honest, that can kind of seem like a lot. It can. That can kind of seem like a lot. But the good news is that the one who is teaching us this prayer is the same one who makes it possible for this prayer to shape our lives, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ can meet you precisely and exactly where you are. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you're here this evening and you're just honest with yourself and you feel distant from God, he's far from me. Maybe you followed him for a long time and you're just in a desert season. Maybe you've never put your trust in him and he just feels far from him. Like you have to prove yourself or you have to be good enough or you have to be something other than you are to be able to come to him. I want you to hear the words of this prayer. Your name be honored as holy and look up. That your response when he feels distant would be to look up and know that he is near. The powerful and personal God is near and that he sent his son to rescue and save you. That you would look up and you would know that name and you would see Jesus. That if you, if you're honest with yourself, you feel shame for your sin. That you look back on your past and you are overwhelmed and overcome with shame that you would actually look back and you would see Jesus Christ doing the work of cleansing as you confess. That he really has done all that is necessary for you to be saved. His work on the cross was enough. His, work, his resurrection from the tomb was enough to rescue and to save you. So instead of distance, we know that he's near. And instead of shame, we can know freedom that he invites us to be free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. So you look up or you can look back or you can look ahead. And you look ahead and feel afraid. I've shared the gospel with this person that I live with multiple times and they've said no every single time. I keep inviting them to salt, keep inviting them to whatever. I, I am exhausted by the busyness of my life. I am too busy to love my neighbor. You can actually look ahead and know that the one who said, hey, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've taught you and know that I am with you always. The one who invites you to step into the future, the one who invites you to be on mission, the one who invites you and commissions you to make disciples is actually already in that place. You show up late to every conversation you've ever been in because Jesus was already there before you were. So you can actually, with hope, move forward, look ahead. God, would your name be honored as holy? Would you give me strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? And Salt Company, I hope that you know that as you pray this line of the prayer, this line that is so easy to skip over, that you would know the beauty of his name being honored as holy. To look up and worship, to look back, be free, to look ahead with hope and to know that in every direction that you look, Jesus Christ is there. He's there. 
just want to invite you to just for a moment of focus and concentration close your eyes and bow your heads just right where you are I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that I just want to give you a moment to respond if you're honest with yourself which one of these three look up, look back, look ahead do you need this evening? Do you need to look up and worship? Do you feel distant from God? God, would your name be honored as holy? Help me to know that name so that I can worship in response to you and honor it as holy. Do you feel distant and need to know that he's near? Do you need to look back? God, would your name be honored as holy? It's not being honored as holy in my life. I sinned this, I sinned today. Again that thing again and I'm racked with shame his name be honored as holy as you know that as you confess he cleanses and you can trade your shame for freedom finally would you look ahead to look ahead not with fear and not with exhaustion but actually with hope that knowing that the God who sends you ahead is with you always how do you need to respond Maybe you're not a Christian and you need to tonight come and put your trust in the name of Jesus Christ and what he has done and become a son, a daughter of God. What do you need to do tonight? Take a moment where you are. Respond however you need to. I'll pray in a moment. God, what are you saying to us? So, Father, we come with no pretense and no pretending. We're not here to perform. To be here again another night to practice just being in your presence. Speak to us. Help us. Jesus, without you, we can't honor the name as holy. So, God, help us. Help us to look up with adoration, to look back with confession, to look ahead with hope. Teach us to pray, and as we pray, to be a people who honor your name as holy. In Jesus' name.